Hi, this is Sean Fenske, editor of Medical Product Outsourcing, and I'm here for our monthly show, Mike on MedTech, on the MedTech Matters channel. And uh, we're here to discuss the uh, pre-sub process, how it is of uh, importance to the FDA uh, submission process, and uh, what, you know, companies, uh, medical device manufacturers really should be aware of, uh, what they should perhaps be doing uh, to, to uh, best utilize this process and, uh, you know, get some insights from Mike, as always, uh, on the, uh, the specifics. So, once again, thank you, Mike Drews of Vascular Sciences, for uh, joining us for another episode. Well, thank you, Sean. It's always a pleasure to chat with you and your audience. Great. Well, let's, let's get into it for, for anyone who's unaware. Can you please uh, uh, just let the audience know what, what exactly is a pre-sub and, and maybe go into a little bit of why engineers, why the product design engineers uh, need, to, need to care about it? Well, it's a great place to, to start, Sean, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about this. So the pre-sub, or more formally known as the pre-submission meeting at FDA is one of many forms of communication that the that companies have with the agency uh, prior to and during the submission and review process. And the reason why, quite frankly, I think the pre-sub process is so important um, is very simple. Let me share with you some statistics that some of you in your audience uh, may be familiar with. Um, 75% of 510Ks that are submitted to the agency today are rejected first time out of the box. Uh, And of those 510Ks that are rejected, about 85% of them are rejected specifically because of substantial equivalence or the lack thereof. And for those working on uh, riskier so-called class three devices where a PMA would would be required, it's even worse. About 89% of PMAs are rejected first time. They result in what's called a major deficiency letter. I think most virtually all of these rejections, whether they're a 510K or a PMA, are totally avoidable, 100% avoidable with communication with the agency in advance of the submission. One of the things that, um, quite frankly, I find difficult to understand about our industry, Sean, is that so many people or so many companies, the first time they communicate with the agency um, is with their actual submission. And although that is common practice, some might even say the industry standard, I think it's totally ridiculous. In fact, taking it a half a step further, I think our industry regrettably has devolved, not evolved, but devolved to the point where um, we're treating the FDA essentially as our elementary school teacher. Here's my homework assignment. Will you please mark it up and give it back to me? And I'm sorry, Sean, I've been playing this game now for about 25 years. I think that, uh, that that's totally not the way this is supposed to be uh, played. And specifically with regard to engineers' role in the pre-sub process, uh, they play a very, very important role in this process because one of the most common reasons why a submission is kicked back by FDA because of um, on, on scientific review, not on administrative review, but on scientific review, is the testing of the device. So, for example, 
uh, a company might go to the FDA with their submission and do, you know, say 10 tests, and FDA comes back and says, well, what about this one or two other tests? We would like to have you do these as well. And as a result, your submission is uh, delayed or even rejected. And I think this is totally avoidable because we can, as part of the pre-sub process, include our testing matrix in the pre-sub. One thing that, that folks, especially engineers, have to understand is that FDA's policy, and I agree with them on this, FDA's policy is not to review the data during the pre-submission process. That happens at the actual review. But what they can review and what they should review is our testing matrix. And almost as a matter of routine, Sean, this is sort of my SOP, but one of the things that I include in virtually all of my pre-subs is my testing matrix. Basically, it's a list of all of the tests that I either have done or that I plan to do um, such that if I complete all of these tests and the data obviously shows what I want it to show, that that's enough to show the safety and efficacy and performance to establish the label and so on. In other words, what I want to do is I want to avoid that very common scenario where a submission is rejected because one test is, is missing or a test has been modified or something like that. And obviously, Sean, that's something that the engineers can really play a part in. Yeah, absolutely, and and I mean some astounding uh, uh, percentages there uh, that you you provided on the the rejection rates. Um, let me ask you a follow-up question to that. Uh, it, with regard to the cost of a submission, not not discussing you know time, you know the the time to market lost or the the labor costs or things like that. The the actual financial responsibility of a resubmission. If your uh, uh, submission is kicked back. Uh, for whatever reason, is is the company then charge? Is there a second uh, charge f to resubmit? Well, it's an interesting question, Sean. I think what you're hinting at is user fees, and you and I uh, did a, a podcast recently on the new Medufa user fees that just went into effect um, just about a month ago uh, as of this recording. Um, let me first mention on the pre-sub side, interestingly enough, there is still no pre-sub user fee. That's totally for free, so to speak, at least when it comes to uh, fees that you have to pay the government. Obviously, as you hinted at, it does take uh, the company a considerable amount of time and, as a result, money to prepare for a good pre-sub meeting. Um, but in terms of the, the rejection of the submission, if the submission uh, well, this gets a little bit complicated, but usually what FDA does is they come back with some, some questions and the company responds to the questions. If it gets to the point where things have gotten either so messy or so delayed that the company will actually um, withdraw their submission, uh, and sometimes this is what I recommend to companies just to kind of, uh, you know, wipe out the history and start with a clean slate. If they withdraw their submission and then resubmit later, um, regrettably there is then a, a new user fee that, uh, that, that, that is applicable. Wow. So, yeah, so definitely considering the, uh, the cost effectiveness of a, a pre-sub, uh, I would say it's certainly in your best interest to go that route. Um, Absolutely. I, I describe the pre-sub as cheap insurance, to be frank. Right, right. And and let's, let's get into the, t the timeline for that. Uh, at what point uh, in the product development life cycle should a a medical device manufacturer uh, uh, bring in the FDA or get involved with the FDA? 
So that's a terrific question, Sean, and it's one of the most common questions that I get from companies in the general area of pre-subs. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I often give almost a schizophrenic answer. On one hand, I say it's never too early to go to the FDA, uh, even one nanosecond after the idea of our product. Um, I don't want to say it's too late, but it's certainly not uh, too early to go to the FDA. But on the other side of that coin is we do not want to go to the FDA one day earlier than we are prepared not just simply to prepare, to present our pay, our plan. In other words, here's our device, this is the way that it works, this is our regulatory strategy, this is our labeling, this is our testing, and so on and so on. Obviously, we have to present our plan, but we also have to be able to vigorously defend it. Because if FDA is doing their job, and let's be honest, Sean, FDA doesn't always do their job. But if FDA is doing their job, their job is to, critical, is to be critical of everything. So in other words, if we go into the FDA and say the sky is blue, FDA's job is to say, okay, prove it. And, um, you know, you, you know from our previous uh, conversation, Sean, that I work some, you know, part-time as a consultant for the FDA, so I see a lot of these issues from both sides. Occasionally, I have to be a little careful what I say here, but occasionally when I'm sitting on the FDA side of the table, I will purposely ping a company, ask them why they're doing something or why they're not doing something else, even though I may, as a professional biomedical engineer, agree with what they're doing. I want to make darn sure that they know what they're doing and, most importantly, that they know what all of their different options are and they're able to defend them. So on one hand, uh, we want to go in early, but on the other hand, we want to make sure that we're, we're prepared not just to present our plan, but we're prepared to defend it. And one other thing, Sean, um, is we're prepared to negotiate because although the pre-sub process has become much more popular, in fact, last year there were, I think, over 2,300 pre-sub meetings, um, which is a good thing, many of them were not successful. So what's the definition of a successful pre-sub meeting? My definition of a successful pre-sub meeting is everybody walking out of the room essentially agreeing with us. And by that definition, not all pre-sub meetings are successful. And one of the reasons why companies are not successful is they're not prepared to negotiate. In other words, if they go in, if the company goes in and presents their plan, and FDA says, nice try, but there ain't a snowball's chance and you know where that this, is going to divide, this device is going to get on the market unless you, you know, do these other things as well. Unless the company is prepared to negotiate, you know, they, they, one of two things is that will happen, and I've seen this happen so many times. Either they say, um, uh, um, uh, you know, okay, we'll take your suggestion and get back to you. So now we're talking about, you know, a delay of many weeks, maybe even months, or perhaps even worse, they're like a deer in the headlights, you know, and they just don't know what to do. And suffice it to say, I work hard not to be in either one of those situations. And so I'm very prepared to negotiate on all my major, um, uh, major parts of my plan if FDA doesn't like this, if FDA doesn't like that, and so on and so on. Well, I will say in terms of when you're on the side of the FDA, uh, you, you pinging the, the company about something that while you agree with them doing it, you want to make sure that they can defend it, kind of goes hand in hand with your you, comments you've made in the past about not simply checking a box. 
you know, you want to know why why something's being done, and and you know, make sure that it's being done for the right reason. So it kind of go, it kind of alludes back to that where you've you've said you don't want to simply, you know, check a box. That's exactly correct, Sean. And let me be crystal clear. Uh, although I work as a consultant for the FDA and I have done so for many years, I'm certainly I, I, I do not speak for the agency. I cannot say you know how many other reviewers might you know do a similar thing, um, but I just professionally I just think it's the right thing to do. Well, it also goes back to what people have said. You know, remember that you know somebody you love or somebody you care about may be on the other end of of receiving the device that you know, is being developed, or in, or in your case, perhaps the one that you're aiding in a, in a review of. So That's exactly uh, right. And, you know, when mind. you really take that to heart, Sean, that, that's a humbling thought. Exactly. Uh, so uh, let me ask you about something with regard to pre-subs that some of, some of the listeners may have heard a term, just a, a pre-sub light. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, pre-sub light, to be honest with you, Sean, this is a Mike Drewsism. This is not an FDAism. Um, but this is an opportunity that I've uh, worked out for companies to go very, very early to the FDA uh, in a pre-sub. Um, uh, and I've done this now several times over the last couple of years. In some cases, uh, we barely have a working prototype, or even in extreme cases, we don't even have a prototype. And to be honest, and again, I have to be a little careful what I say here, but I've had several um, very early startups come to me and say, we want to do a pre-sub. Um, we don't have a prototype or, you know, we don't have much more than just a, a concept. Maybe they just have some IP. But we want to go to the FDA because we want to then be able to tell our potential investors that we've had a conversation with the FDA. Yes, things can change, but here's what we've agreed upon. We have to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. This is how long each step is going to take. This is how much each step is going to cost. And it seems to me, Sean, I deal with a lot of angel and VC and similar groups. That carries a tremendous amount of um, credibility as opposed to going to an investor and saying, well, we think our pathway will be 510K. We think this is the following testing that we're going to have to do and so on and so on. So I've developed this pathway. Uh, maybe I shouldn't call it a pathway, but this mechanism where we can take a technology to the FDA as a pre-sub very, very early on. Now, I have to put some caveats to that because looking at this from the FDA's perspective, they are not used to seeing devices early in the development process. In fact, even though the pre-sub process has gotten popular, still the vast majority of pre-subs are being done with devices that are at the, at the point of design freeze or very, very close to the point of being design freeze. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but if you want to go to the FDA much earlier than that, you have to recognize that um, FDA is not used to seeing that. You have to point out to them on multiple occasions, you have to remind them that this is a device that's still under development, that maybe some of the questions that um, we would like to address or discuss um, we're not able to yet. 
um, and FDA will likely ask questions that we're not able to answer yet. Uh, but I have, you know, techniques for responding to all of them. You know, I basically will say that's an excellent question. It is already on our list, by the way, but thank you for bringing it up anyway. But just as a reminder, you know, the device is under development. We haven't gotten to that point, and when we cross that bridge, we will come back to you and we will certainly provide you an update as to how we plan to uh, to solve this. So the pre-sub light basically gives companies an option to go to the FDA very, very early in the process. Um, publicly, FDA has said many times that they would like to work with companies early in the development process. And those are certainly admirable sentiments. You know, I hear those from the politicians at FDA all the time. Uh, but the proof is in the pudding. And the simple reality is most people don't do it that soon, but it can be done. You just have to be a little bit careful, uh, but it can be done. And this is another area, obviously, where the engineers would pay, play a, a critical role um, in this process as well. Absolutely. And then uh, we're, we're getting a little, little close to our, our typical time, but can you just provide some insight on the, uh, the recent guidances we received a couple months ago uh, or the recent revisions to the guidance we received a couple months ago and, and if there was anything in there with regard to pre-subs? Yeah, so uh, the, the, the um, precept guidance came out a couple of years ago, and it was recently updated just this past September. Um, perhaps, uh, you know, I have to be a little careful what I say here, but, you know, most things in this particular guidance, as well as virtually all guidances, are really not new to me. Um, they're, 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 they're common sense, and quite frankly, they should be. Uh, in my opinion, there was really nothing major in the update to the precept guidance for, from September compared to uh, the the previous guidance about two years ago, just a couple of um, minor comments on the on the new version of the guidance. Um, FDA has in the past tried to get back to companies prior to the actual meeting um, if you're if you're requesting an actual physical meeting, which is usually my recommendation. Um, they tried to get back to the to the company. Uh, a few days in advance of the meeting with their, with their initial feedback. I'll be honest with you, Sean, that does not always happen. And in some cases, I've had it happen a few times where FDA will send us their feedback uh, the morning of the, meet, the same day of the meeting that's going to be held that afternoon. And so um, I will, you know, when we start the meeting, I will say, gee, thank you so much for your, your feedback, you know, that you provided to us this morning. <laughs> you know, I like to remind everybody. So, uh, so in the new version of the guidance, the, um, you know, FDA is trying to commit to providing uh, written feedback um, a little bit more in advance. Time will tell. Um, but listen, I'm going to be, uh, you know, brutally honest here. If a company spends a lot of time and money preparing for a meeting at the FDA, the least that the FDA can do is prepare for the meeting on their side as well. And I'm not suggesting that people are not doing their jobs, but let me put it this way. It's not just my graduate students that don't always, you know, read what it is that I, I give them to read. So, I, you know, I strongly believe and in, in, in um, 
treating other people, as, including the FDA, as professionals, but I also expect to be treated as a professional as well. That's one thing that the, uh, uh, the, the FDA talked about in the new version of the guidance. Um, another thing that they reminded, and this is not, a, this is not new, is that we're required to submit, uh, the company is required to submit meeting notes to the FDA within 15 calendar days uh, after the meeting. And this is not a change since, um, since the original guidance. But one of the things that drives me nuts is why the heck is it calendar days and not business days? And I'll share with you a, a recent example that I'm involved with uh, just in the last few months. We had a pre-sub at the FDA with a particular medical device company that I'm working with. Uh, we submitted the meeting notes within 15 calendar days as we were required. FDA came back to us 60 days later with comments on our meeting notes. Basically, they did not accept some of them, which is fine. This is, that's part of the process. But they said, we need your response within 15 additional calendar days. And I said, we're happy to respond, but you took 60 days to respond to us. We're going to need more than 15 days to respond back to you. They said, nope, sorry, but if you don't respond to us within 15 days, 15 calendar days, then our meeting notes become the, uh, the, the, the record. And that's just simply not fair. You know, as I said a moment ago, I, you know, I believe in treating people with respect, and that street has got to go in two directions. So and keeping, you know, putting this in context, we're not talking about a device that's already on the market that's causing problems, that's harming people, where time is of the essence. Obviously, in a scenario like that, you know, 15 minutes might be too long to wait. But in this particular case, we're just talking about, quite frankly, administrative paperwork. So, you know, 15 calendar days, uh, and especially if you're talking about, for example, doing a pre-sub, you know, just before the holidays, you've got Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and everything. I just think that's ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you certainly sound reasonable in your, your criticisms of those, those uh, particular items. Um, Unfortunately, though, that's all the time we have for, for this episode and this topic. Uh, should you have any questions or have a suggestion for an, uh, another topic, please reach out to me. My email's uh, on the page uh, on the MPO MAG website. And we'll also provide a, a link to that guidance for those of you who, who really, uh, you know, perhaps should, should take a look at the, uh, the guidance for the pre-sub. So on behalf of uh, Mike Drews of Vascular Sciences, I'd like to thank you for listening in to another episode of Mike on MedTech, and we'll see you next time.